I speak as unto my children, be ye also enlarged. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your holy word, we pray, Lord, Give me clarity of mind and speech that you might be honored, that I might be brought low, but that Christ would be exalted. Lord, that you would show us how you would have us to live and how you would have us to please you. Be merciful to those here who do not know you. Be merciful to those who do know you, that we might be stirred up. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. In the Heidelberg Catechism in question two, I believe it's question two, the question asks, what are the three main things that I need to know in order to live and die happily? And I may not be saying it word for word, but the main main ideas are to know our sin and our misery, to know how we can be delivered from our sin and our misery, And third, to know how to give thanks or to be grateful for such a deliverance. This is a time of thanksgiving, a time to be thankful in this week. Tomorrow especially we'll be thinking, many will be thinking of thankful things, things we're thankful for. Well, the first thing that we should be thankful for is that deliverance from our sins and How better to think of how to be thankful than to consider living for Christ today. Living for Him, separating from the world, and walking with God. Walking in holiness as in gratitude to our Lord who saved us from our sins. So this is the second part on the subject of a call to separation. A Call to Separation, Part 2. In our last message on this passage, we saw how God, through his preacher Paul, was calling for the Corinthians' hearts. He was saying, open your heart to me. He said, I am opening my heart to you. Open your heart to me in affection, in responsiveness. We saw the command to not be unequally yoked together with the world. We saw that the world has nothing to do with the believer, and the believer has nothing to do with the world. He used five different contrasts. He talked about 
What fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion has light with darkness? What concord has Christ with Belial? What part has he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? He looked at those five different contrasts and said, there is nothing a believer has to do with the world. We saw those wonderful promises of God dwelling with his people and his and walking in them, being their God and them being his people. Then we saw the third imperative or command of this passage, which says, come out from among them and be separate. Based on Isaiah chapter 52, verse 11. So today we want to look at two more commands. These two commands, touch not the unclean thing and cleanse yourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. First of all, touch not the unclean thing. And this also comes from Isaiah 52.11. In Isaiah 52.11 it says, Depart ye, depart ye, go ye out from thence. Touch no unclean thing. Go ye out of the midst of her. Be clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. This is Isaiah speaking, well, God speaking through Isaiah to the priests who are going out from, the, from Babylon and saying, go out from Babylon, depart from it, and don't touch any unclean thing. Go out of the midst of her because you're bearing the vessels of the Lord. And so Paul applies this to the new covenant believer. He applies it to us who are kings and priests with God, who are bearing and actually are the vessels of the Lord. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel were schooled or were taught the defiling touch of abomination or abominable things and ceremonial uncleanness. If, especially if you read the books of Moses, especially the book of Leviticus, you will see the doctrine of clean and unclean is constantly being emphasized. This idea of ceremonial uncleanness or impurity is not a big deal to the modern American mind. Now it's true that in the recent pandemic or whatever you might call it, there was a greater emphasis on cleanliness, sanitation, washing hands, spray, and all of that. But the Lord, Jesus, the Lord is not telling us to have clean hands and to sanitize in this passage. He's not talking about germs and hygiene. He's teaching us about holiness. Today we live in a sanitized, but yet a very unclean world. We're talking about spiritually, morally. Early on in the scriptures, we see the defiling, incriminating touch of evil. That there is something that you can touch, and it can affect you and make you unclean. Even in the first chapters of the Bible, we see Eve when she's talking to the serpent. And what does she say? She says, he, he is tempting her to eat the fruit. And she says, you shall not eat of it 
neither shall you touch it, lest you die. She's saying that God said that. Now, when we read God's words, we don't see that. Maybe God did tell them that, and it's not recorded. Or maybe Adam, in his desire to keep his wife away from the tree, applied the words and interpreted the words to include that statement. Or maybe Eve made it up. We don't know. But we see, even there early on in the, in the scriptures, the touch that can make unclean. Well, the book of Leviticus really opens this up in a very, very helpful way. The word unclean in the book of Leviticus is used more than 100 times. The word clean is used more than 40 times. So a very important subject if you read the book of Leviticus. And something that we don't really grasp, we don't really understand in our modern mindset. Leviticus 5 verse 2 says, If a soul touch any unclean thing, whether it be a carcass of an unclean beast, or a carcass of unclean cattle, or the carcass of unclean creeping things. And if he be hidden from him, he also shall be unclean and guilty. Leviticus, the next verse, Or if he touch the uncleanness of man, whatsoever uncleanness it be that a man shall be defiled withal, and it be hidden from him, when he knoweth of it, then he shall be guilty. There's an uncleanness that makes guilty. If you read on through the book of Leviticus, we won't read it because of time, but from the leper outside the camp that had to cover his mustache and cry out, unclean, unclean, and be separated from the people and all alone because of his uncleanness. No one could touch him. To bodily discharges from men or women, any Fluids coming from the body, whether blood or otherwise, unclean. To the dead carcass of even a lizard, if it falls into a pot, a jar, a clay jar, then you pour out the water and you break the jar because of this unclean. The Israelites were being schooled that uncleanness defilement was all around them, that it was easy to be unclean and defiled by these things. There was need for a continual watchfulness, a continual vigilance, a continual carefulness to steer clear of uncleanness and to avail yourself of the cleansing by God's means that he had provided. What were those? Two things, the blood of sacrifice and the water. Of purification, representing Christ and his sacrifice for us, and the Holy Spirit who enters us, giving us a new heart, cleansing us, and making us new within. Well, in Christ's time, the New Testament Jews were careful about keeping the letter of the law, they were concerned about cleanness or cleanliness. They were big on being clean religiously and ceremonially. They gave the disciples of Christ a hard time for eating with unwashed hands. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. Even in bringing Christ before the judgment hall, they were concerned about becoming unclean. 
Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. They were concerned about being unclean. They majored on this issue of cleanliness, of avoiding defilement, but they missed the point. They thought it was all about the exterior and external holiness. And as Paul says in the book of Colossians, these things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting the body, but they are of no value to prevent the indulgence of the flesh. They can't hold back the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These things were not an end in themselves, but they pointed to something deeper. They pointed to defilement by sin. The fulfillment of the laws of uncleanness is found in this passage right here. 2 Corinthians 6. Touch not the unclean thing. He's not talking about lizards. He's not talking about lepers. He is talking about moral and spiritual defilement. A key passage on this fulfillment is in Mark 7 where Christ says there is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. Pork can't defile you. Unless you eat it without faith. But the things that come out of him, those are they that defile the man. That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. When our children are small, we begin to speak with them, not in complex, theological, and highly, um, highly developed language, but we, we, we talk to them in simple baby talk, simple words and simple sentences, and we bring them along with simple concepts and help them to develop in their understanding. God has done that with us, and God has done that in his scriptures, and he has done that in his word. In the Old Testament, he came to us with some of that, we could say, baby talk. He came to us with that, those pictures and those things that pointed to the realities of what we see today. And that's what we're seeing in the Old Testament. The reality or the, the, the fullness and the, the full reality is not all about eating pork and touching lizards, but it's about holiness before God, walking with Christ and being like him. So how does the world defile us? We look at that passage in Mark 7 and we see that it's not the things that come from outside that defile the man, speaking of things you eat, but it's those things or even the things that you touch physically as in dirty cups and all of that. But it's those things that come from within, those things that come from our hearts like lust and 
evil thoughts and adulteries and fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, and the whole list. So how does the world defile us? Isn't the world outside of us, not within us? Well, in a sense it is, but it provokes us and stirs up the lusts of the flesh that are already within us. And in a sense, when we can say the world is in a sense within us if we have the flesh, which we all do. Not that we are in the world in the same way that the world, that the people of the world are. In the book of James, we read that we are to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Jude tells us, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh, we are to seek to be pure. Be careful of the defiling touch of the world, things that you can get involved with, things that you can partake in that will defile your soul and your body and that will lead to sinful thoughts, words, and deeds springing up in your heart and causing defilement. The the battle ultimately is in the mind. And the battle is there in the mind, and the devil wants your mind and your heart and your body to be dirty so that God, that you can't have fellowship with Christ. The devil doesn't, he knows that if you're dirty, you're not going to fellowship with Christ. He knows that if you're dirty, you won't experience victory over sin. He knows that if you're dirty, you won't know the fullness of the Spirit. He knows that if you're dirty, you won't experience the blessing of God's presence and God's hearing your prayers. He knows that a cloud of defilement will hurt the Christian and hurt the church, and he uses it to his wicked advantage. God wants purity in our hearts, in our minds, in our bodies. because of the blessing of fellowship with God, because of the power of the Spirit, because of answers to prayer, victory over sin, and joy and peace, because it glorifies God, and because God can use us. You know what brings dirt to your mind and to your body. Compare your life to God's book. Ask God to show you what defiles you and what has been defiling your life. What is a spiritual non-conductor keeping God from flowing through your life? May God help us to be clean vessels for honor, sanctified, ready for good works. So he says, do not touch, touch not the unclean thing. In the Old Testament, that referred to ceremonial impurity. Touching or being involved with something that was ceremonially unclean, that God had declared to be unclean. And of course we can learn some principles of hygiene from that, but I don't believe that's the primary lesson. The primary lesson is holiness. And in the New Testament, the fulfillment of that, we are called to spiritual and physical holiness. There's that little song that we learned when we were little. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down with love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. It goes on to say, be careful, little hands, what you touch. Be careful, little feet, where you walk. And, of course, it's a kind of a child's song. The tune is more fitting, maybe a nursery song. But 
very wise words and true for each and every one of us. How careful we should be. You know, some of these movies out there, they have age rates. They're rated by age. And I was with, many years back, was with some friends and regrettably we were watching a movie and they told the little child, go on out, this isn't really your age. But what age can we expose ourselves to violence, immorality, and blasphemy and not be defiled? At what age can we be mature enough to handle sin and not be defiled? Sometimes we think we are wiser than Solomon, stronger than Samson, and more godly than David. We can think, I'm strong enough. I don't have to be so careful. But these are dangerous words. Those little ads or news articles can bring a strong man down. Just a little dabbling with the world can weaken and innervate the strongest saint. Just a little joking around can put filth on your soul. Your media choices will affect your mind and your soul. And this is by design. Amen. This is what is called wearing down of the saints of God. Well, after that, that clear and definite call to touch not the unclean thing, we have three glorious promises. And these three glorious promises are here in the end of chapter 17 and in chapter 18. And he says, And I will receive you. I will receive you. This is a quote from Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 34 and 41. Not verbatim, but referring to probably to that passage. God is saying, I will welcome you. I will gather you. What a joyful promise God is making to his people to his separating people, to his people who are not compromising with the world, not touching the unclean thing. He says, I will receive you. I will welcome you. I will gather you. I will receive you from Babylon. And then he says, and I will be a father unto you. I will be a father unto you. In the old covenant, it hadn't been strongly emphasized the fatherhood of God to the believer. But in the New Covenant, Christ emphasized it. He emphasized His own sonship. And that was unique, of course, because He is the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. But He also emphasized, as He taught His disciples to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven. He emphasized that God was our Father and is our Father, who believe, to us who believe, And here Paul is taking that promise that was made to David for his son Solomon that I will be his father and he will be my son. He's taking that promise from 2 Samuel 7 and he's saying that's our promise. You and I have God as our father if we believe. 
And it says, And you will be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Basically, the other side of the coin from God being our Father is that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. God refers to, in Isaiah 43, verse 6, to bringing His sons from afar and His daughters from the ends of the earth. And He may be referring to this passage. This is referring, Paul is referring to the truth of adoption. That we are now instated into the family of God. That those who believe are, not, are no longer strangers and outcasts and wanderers on earth. They are no longer shut out as Gentiles were. But they are family. And they are children of God. They are sons and daughters. They have, they have rights. They have privileges. They have blessings. As John says in chapter 1, John chapter 1, To them who believed on him, he gave the right to become the sons of God. This is a legal relationship with God that he instates us in as we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. J.I. Packer in his book on knowing God said that this is the climax of the Bible. That this is the highest blessing or privilege of the gospel. And this is the, the last promise that he mentions here. And I think that, rightly, we could say this is the climax of the promises that Paul is referring to here in this passage, is our sonship, our adoption into the family of God. So, what is he saying here? How is he, what is he really communicating here? He tells us to come out from the world. He tells us to be separate here in, in 2 Corinthians six seventeen, and he tells us to touch not the unclean thing, and then he says, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. So it seems almost on face value to be saying that if we do this, then God will do this, right? It seems almost to be saying that God's adoption is based on our holiness. But this is not works-based salvation here. It's not talking about earning our sonship. But it's talking about living it out. In Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, In verse 44, the the Lord Jesus says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Here he he is not saying that we are to love others and do good to them so that we can become the children of God. Rather, he's saying we should do these things Because we are children of God. And in response to His great deliverance and salvation that He has shown to us, 
showing thankfulness by living in this way. That we may be the children of your Father. That we may show that we are the children of our Father. That we might live like our Father. Even in Ephesians 5.1, the Apostle Paul says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Could be translated imitators of God as dear children. Children imitate their fathers. They do what their dad does. You'll see their walk is similar. Their talk is similar. Their dress is similar. Even the way they stand and the way they do things. Sometimes my dad says I preach like him. We have similarities to our parents that we don't even try to to perform. There are marks of sonship. God is saying that we are to be like our Father in heaven. Paul is saying that here. And a mark of sonship is holiness of life and separation from the world. Our relationship to God was broken by sin and restored by Christ. Now we have that relationship in such a deep way, a relationship as a son or as a daughter of God, that he would love us, that he would care for us, that he would watch over us, that he would lead us and guide us, that he would be our father and and we would be his children. So many blessings Richer and deeper, we could preach on it for days and days. And those whom God justifies, He also sanctifies. He declares them to be His children in adoption and then proceeds to put His Spirit within them and to make them like His Son who died for them and rose again. There is no such thing as a justified man who does not pursue holiness. There is no such thing as a a son who doesn't want to be like his father in the spiritual walk. There may be in the physical world, but even then, that son, you're going to say, you don't like your dad, but you look like him and you're doing things like him. He'll get angry with you, but it's true. God puts His Spirit within our hearts. Not only are we legally adopted, but we are born of God. And God the Father adopts us. God the Son gave His life for us. And God the Spirit works in our hearts, implanting new life within that we might desire to walk with Christ. The Lord Jesus in in John 15 said, In this is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. And I believe in a way God is saying here, so shall ye be my sons and daughters. So shall ye be my sons and daughters by separating from the world and by not touching the unclean thing. And then I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. I will show to you my love. I will show to you my my affection and my fellowship and my acceptance as you separate from the world. 
we experience. We don't earn God's adopting love by our holiness, but we do experience it as we live a holy life. We experience the joy of this relationship as we walk in holiness. As we have seek greater holiness, we will have greater assurance. Our assurance is based primarily on Christ and His work for us, but the man who lives in sin and has his feet in the world cannot have great confidence. So the second, we could say the fifth imperative of this passage, the second we're looking at today, is let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And it starts with this in in chapter 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved. Paul has just given us all these promises. And, you know, there was a saying of, Charles Spurgeon's that said, he said, all the promises in the book are mine. Now, some people have said, well, um, Spurgeon, Charles, you can't have all of them. Some of them were for this guy or this guy, and so they, they took some away from Spurgeon. But Paul says, you can't take these away from me because Paul said, they're mine. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, we have them. You have these promises they're yours and you can't get rid of them if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ what are the promises let us review them in verse 16 he begins with this in the middle of the verse ye are the temple of the living God as God hath said I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Verse 17. Where, what is the promise? I will receive you. Accepted in the beloved. Verse 18. And will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. These promises need to get a hold of our hearts. These promises need to be come out in, in flesh and blood, in color, in technicolor. These promises need to stop being just mild spiritual sayings, but they need to come alive because they are yours and they're mine. They are ours. In light of these amazing promises, Paul says, let us cleanse ourselves. And he includes himself. He says, let us cleanse ourselves. Let us make every effort to purify our minds, our eyes, our lives, our homes, our closets, our iPods, and our iPhones. Let us cleanse our schedules and our side tables and our bookcases. Let us purify our relationships and our entertainment choices. This includes putting away things, putting them off, putting them to death, taking things that are sinful and putting them to the sword. Let us cleanse ourselves. First of all, when we realize that something is defiling us, we are to go to the cross and look to the blood shed for the cleansing of each and every sin. And secondly, to take action against sin and its defiling influence in your life. It's not just let go and let God. 
We are to exercise faith in our sanctification, but it's not all faith in sanctification. There is also a part for us to play. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Don't just sit back and let sin take over. What are you to cleanse yourself from? From all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Sin will defile your body and it will defile your soul. In 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul deals with this subject and he says, basically he's asking the question, does the body matter? There were some, the Gnostics, they were saying the body really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do with it because it's just, the body really doesn't matter. Well, Paul says, does the body matter? Is it really important what I do with the body? He says, well, the Spirit of God lives in the body because you're the temple of the Holy Ghost. And also the body is going to be raised up and be, it's married to Christ and it's going to be raised up and it's going to be with Christ forever. In other words, the body is important. And the body does matter. What you do with it does matter. It's God's temple. We're to glorify Him in our body. It belongs to God. It's not just yours to do whatever you want, to put in whatever you want, to do whatever you want, but it belongs to God. But also, the Spirit. I think we might tend to sometimes go the opposite direction of the Corinthians because we focus on what people can see. But when it comes to our minds, we don't really think much about it because no one can see our minds. But God sees our thoughts. (laughs) And that means the soul, the mind, the will, the affections and the emotions are to be purified, even the inclinations or the desires are to be cleansed from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. God wants purity of heart. We are to guard our hearts and watch for defilement creeping in. The question that we should ask should not be, how close can I get to the world and still follow Christ? But instead, how close can I follow Jesus no matter what it costs? There are many things that we have liberty to do. You might think, for me, it is okay to do this. It doesn't really affect me to do this or to do that. And it may, it may be true, but we should consider and look at whether this thing that we're doing or involved in has a dulling effect on our spiritual life. Does it make you cold in prayer? Does it discourage your faithful church attendance or your witness or obedience in some other way? Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. And then he says, finally, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness. This is like the, the cap. This is like the, the icing on the cake. Perfecting holiness. Bring holiness to completion. Bring it to maturity. The idea is not that God expects me to be perfect in this life and sinlessly perfect. We know that's not possible. But the idea is striving for holiness. You need to grow and to finish the race. I love the the picture that 
that Paul gives us in, in Philippians chapter 3, where he, he talks about the Christian life like a race. And he talks about his desires. And he says he, he wants to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained. And we could say, yes, Paul, we, we, we're with you on that. We haven't already attained. Either we're already perfect. And we can say, yes, Paul, we're with you on that. We're not perfect yet. But are we with Paul in the next part? But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, I am pursuing something with all I have. Amen. What is it? It's what Christ has already gotten for him. Christ has already won it for him. And he's saying, I want that with all I have. I want holiness with all I have. I want Christ's likeness. I want to be like Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. We, we say with Paul, yes, we're not there yet. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You can see the runner there straining with all he has, leaning forward toward that finish line, leaning toward that ribbon, running, and his whole body, his whole sinews, everything is focused on winning. Everything is focused on getting the prize. Are we thinking about holiness like that? Are we stretching forward for holiness? Are we straining? Are we exerting ourselves for holiness? God calls us to active effort, even strenuous effort, not to be a couch potato Christian, but to reach for more. We might tell Paul today, Paul, relax. Don't sweat it. You'll be like Jesus eventually. When you get to heaven, you'll be like Jesus. Calm down and enjoy life a little bit. And Paul says, no, that's not for me. He says in verse 18 of Philippians 3, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. He says the people who live for this life, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Amen. He says our citizenship, verse 20, is in heaven. We don't belong to this world. We're going to be like Jesus. Let's be like Him now. Be therefore perfect, even as your Father is perfect. No, we can't be perfect in this life, but we seek for, for maturity. We seek for, that word perfect can refer to maturity. It can refer to completion. It can refer to fullness. We strive for holiness, and we don't settle for the second best. Well, he says, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This refers to an awe, not, not to the fear of God that Adam and Eve had after they had sinned against God and were hiding from him behind the trees, covering themselves with fig leaves because they didn't want God to see them. But that's not what it's referring to. It's referring to an awe, 
and a reverence for God. A trembling before Him, recognizing that God is a consuming fire, recognizing this twofold aspect of God, His holiness and His goodness. As Paul says, the goodness and severity of God. That He is a gracious God. That He has given us all in Christ. That He loves us. That He has given His, His own begotten Son for us. And that He is also a holy God that must and will punish sin. That He is angry with the, with the wicked every day. And that hell is a real place. This fear of God should lead us to witness. And it should also lead us to live a holy life. This is the primary motive for holy living. Hodge says, In the fear of God is the motive which is to determine our endeavors to purify ourselves. It is not to regard to the good of others, nor our own happiness, but reverence for God. We are to be holy because He is holy. So in application, you are in a battle. I'm in a battle. As a Christian, the world today presents you with a new God, a new law, and a new world view, but it's not really a new one. It's just an old one with some of the dust knocked off. It's no different from Satan in the garden saying, Has God said? And also saying, You shall not surely die. So when we hear about homosexual marriage and we see the influences of the world around us. And we even see those desires coming up in our flesh as those things come around us. We have to realize this is the devil in the garden. The gods of the world today, sports, music, movies, sex, power, and money, appealing to the flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These things tug at your heart, at your affections. And if your heart is open to the world, your heart will be closed to God. And the world will get you. So what does it mean for you to come out and be separate in 21st century America? You were saved out of this mess. You're no longer a part of it. You're a son or a daughter of the king. And it's absurd for a ransomed captive to keep living like a slave. You were redeemed to serve God, to be his son or his daughter. Is that what you're doing? The rewards, the blessings are much worth, are worth much more than what you will lose. You may lose a friend You may lose many friends in the world. You may lose many praises and many accolades from the world. And you may lose their approval and their acceptance. You may lose some of the money from the world. And you may lose other things. But you will not lose the Father who loves you and cares for you. Are you serving the gods of the nations around you? 
John talked about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. This is what we have to deal with. Ultimately, separation is more than just saying, I don't have a Buddha in my house or an idol. The world attacks our affections. There's a song that we used to sing back in the day at another church called, O Jesus, I Have Promised. And it says, O let me feel thee near me, the world is ever near. I see the sights that dazzle, the tempting sounds I hear. My foes are ever near me, around me and within. But Jesus, draw thou near and shield my soul from sin. This song reminds us that the world pulls on our hearts. This world is corrupt and corrupting, and we are not impervious to its influence. You say, wait, I thought the world could not seduce Christians. Aren't they in the world, but not of the world? Yes, but they still have the flesh. And only Christ could say, the prince of this world has nothing in me. Paul said, the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And you cannot do the things that you would. But Christians also have the spirit. John says, you have overcome them. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So you are a fighter. A true Christian is a fighter. He has confidence that the war is won, but there are still some skirmishes left. There are still battles to be fought. He is not going to lay down his weapons and say, no need to fight. So we see five imperatives here in this passage. We've looked at them last, last time we got, were together and last time I preached, and this time. First of all, be open. Be open. Open your hearts to God and to His preacher, to His Word. Secondly, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And we talked about what that meant. Come out. Thirdly, come out from among them and be ye separate. And fourthly, do not touch the unclean thing. We looked at that today. And fifthly, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. And then we have these glorious promises to help us in the battle to spur us on. And what are the promises? God is in us. God is with us. God is walking with us. God is receiving us. God is welcoming us. God is welcoming us as His sons and His daughters. God is making us His own new beautiful temple. These are things that are experienced by the one who walks in holiness and who separates from the world. They are not experienced by the the person who professes but puts his foot in the world and in the church. A believer who is compromised with the world who is trying to live in both worlds, will not have true satisfaction in the world, but he will also have very little joy, very little peace, very little victory, and very little communion with God. It's also possible that he may be a wolf in sheep's clothing, that that it's possible to profess to know Christ, and yet in works deny him. And Christ said, that at that day he would say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It is possible to be a hypocrite. 
to think that we are believers, true believers in Christ, but loving the world and not loving God. A life of worldliness and sin, defilement and bondage is not worth it. But the life with Christ is worth it. My question for you today is, how are you doing? Are you pursuing this life with all that is within you? Let us provoke one another to love and to good works. Last of all, I would like to speak to those who do not know Christ tonight. Maybe you're like me. And you do not know the power of the gospel. But you're seeking to make a a life of holiness without Christ. I even had a list of how much I did certain sins and would try to do better. You cannot improve your life without Christ. What I'm saying is you cannot be holy without Christ. You may improve your life in the eyes of men or even in your own eyes, but you cannot live the holy life without Christ. Without the Spirit within, without being forgiven of your sins, you cannot do it. Come to Christ today. Turn from your sins and trust in Him. He can change you and make you, make you new. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you. We thank you for Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you for his cleansing blood from every sin. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, that gift Sweet gift, Lord, may we not quench or grieve your spirit. May we indeed know the power of your spirit to live a holy life, to mortify sin, that you might lead us into all righteousness. Father, show us things in our lives that are not right. Show us where we are touching the unclean thing. Show us where we can perfect holiness in the fear of God. Lord, show us more of your light. May we strain for holiness by your power and by your grace. Lord, I pray for those who do not know you tonight. Have mercy upon their souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.